All right, uh, before I begin, I'll just say I'll own this for myself. Uh, I struggled where to go this week. Uh, you know, I kind of didn't know what to start and where to go. And, and uh, so Easter was a really beautiful exclamation point on some of the things we've been talking about. And, uh, and so actually I had another sermon I was in the middle of. And um, it was one of those times when the Lord pushes me off onto something else. And I just confess that I think this is for me, um, principally. So I, I will own that. And it's because um, I, I, need, I need to look at God, I need to look at the promises of God, or I won't be the way I need to be. So, um, yeah, so I need to... It's been 14 months since I've preached on money and giving, and uh, so I need it. If you don't, I do. And it's really, really easy... If you're not looking at God and the promises of God, it's really, really easy just to be a keeper. You understand what I'm saying? Just to keep. The world tells you to keep. Keep it for yourself. Keep it for your security. Uh, keep it for your pleasure. You know, the world tells us all the time to keep. And so if I'm not looking at God, I, I feel the tendency not to be open-handed. And so I just thought, listen, if uh, this is not for you, it's for me, okay? And I thought I'd start this way. C.S. Lewis, uh, he said something that's not the most profound thing anyone ever said, but there's a simple genius to it. He said, if you're doing your sums wrong, you're going to get the wrong answer. So obviously, I'm talking about you, and I'm talking about your money. C.S. Lewis says, if your presuppositions are wrong, if your assumptions are incorrect, if your logic is invalid, if your methodology is faulty, if your arithmetic is flawed, you'll always get the wrong answer, always. You'll always get the wrong answer. I go back to what I said. If you're not looking at God when it comes to money and giving, you're going to get the wrong answer because the world in your flesh is going to tell you to keep. It's just how it works. Maybe you're different. I know how my flesh works. So, um, probably some of us in here are doing our sums wrong. It's just my observation after being in the ministry for quite some time. Um, so we'll start with a little audience participation. I'm going to read two scripture passages to you, and I want you to tell me which one is doing their sums correctly, okay? First, you guys know this account, the, the farmer in Luke chapter 12. It's a parable. Jesus tells, verse 16, Jesus said, the land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. Verse 19. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So we have the rich farmer. I'm going to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Some of you also know this passage, verses 1 through 5. These are those, um, those crazy Macedonians. You can't stop them from giving, right? So listen to this. Uh, verse 1, chapter 8, 2 Corinthians. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. And that, in great, and that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. They weren't coerced. Of their own accord. Verse 4, begging us... When was the last time you begged? <laughs> begging to give. Listen to this. Begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Verse 5. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Okay, which one do you think is doing their sums correctly? And which one do you think is doing their sums incorrectly? Anybody? This is not very hard. <laughs> 
The second one, of course, the, the crazy Macedonians. They were impoverished in the middle of great affliction. You can read the context for yourself at, at your own leisure. And, and they gave. They gave with, with great liberality and great generosity to the relief of the Judean Christians. Okay, now here's a harder question for you and for me. Which illustration more closely resembles how you do your sums? Is your practice more in line with the rich farmer or is your practice more in line with those crazy Macedonians? Now, most of you are young. Some of you weren't raised in a Christian home. Maybe maybe you don't understand about giving. So it's good that you're here. Because it's good for you young folks because, uh, yeah, if you don't know, if you haven't begun a discipline of giving and, and how to, to open your hand to the work of God and to those that you encounter, uh, this is important. This is, is important for you to, to plug into your calculus. You understand what I'm saying? To plug this in to how you do business, how you live life how you handle your money. So a lot of this is going to be groundwork for, for, for some of you young folks who really have not gotten into that place yet where you understand about honoring God in your finances and what that should look like in your life. So I know every day you roll out of bed, the world says keep. I get it. I understand it. I've been hearing that voice longer than you have. Twice as long for some of you. Maybe three times as long. For some of you others, it's the incessant message of the world. Keep! Hoard! Keep! Own! Acquire! It's the message of the world. But you remember what God said about the rich farmer. I'm going to go back to Luke chapter 12, verse 20 and 21. But God said to the rich farmer, some of you guys know, what did God say to the rich farmer? You fool. So, God is saying, if you're a keeper, which is our natural tendency, I'm owning it for myself, I know my tendency. If you're a keeper, God says, you're a... That's all I'm saying. This is what God is saying. But you and I have to fight the tendency to keep. Because it's in us. It's the sin in us. But when we look at God, when we look at the Word of God, we look at the promises of God, we are liberated. And then we are free to be givers. God says, you fool, He's talking to the rich man, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God commands us to be open-handed. To be givers. It's the call of God. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, when you discover that you're doing your sums wrong, the best thing to do is what? Someone tell me. What do you think? When you discover you're doing your, your arithmetic wrong, the calculus is wrong, what do you have to do? Stop. <laughs> Stop. Stop doing it that way. That's a challenge for, for some of us tonight. Stop doing it that way. Do it God's way. Do it God's way. That's the challenge for each of us tonight. I don't want to be a fool in God's eyes. I don't want to be a fool. Listen. What does Jesus say? A man can gain the world. But what use is that? If he loses his soul, what use is it? So there's a reason, beloved, that 40, per, 40 plus percent of the, the parables of Jesus speak to money and wealth. Jesus taught about money and wealth more than He taught about heaven and hell. One theologian has estimated that 15% of everything Jesus ever talked about was regarding money. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that's true? You guys know. Those of you who are, already, those of you who are making your money, you're out making money now, you know. Because we're consumers. This is the con consumption age, right? I mean, and it's in us. It's in us. You think those guys are spending billions of dollars to advertise to you for no reason? It's in us in this materialistic age. 
The Bible contains 2,000 references to money and wealth, twice as many as to faith and prayer. You may remember the warning that Jesus gave as He began to tell this parable uh, in Luke chapter 12. He says, Beware! It's the strongest warning from the lips of Jesus. If you go to the original Greek, it's the strongest warning in the New Testament from the mouth of Jesus Christ. Beware! It's not about adultery. You know, it's not about false doctrine. Uh, it's about money. It's about money. It's about how you and I think and feel and handle our money. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. This is the Word of God. This is why God gives so much ink to it because it's insidious and it can get into our hearts and Jesus says, Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. This is just, those of you who have acquired any age and have acquired uh, any money, you understand. You have to decide. I will serve, I'm going to serve riches and comfort and ease and acquisition and materialism, or I will serve God. You can't do both. Jesus says you can't do both. You can't do both. You will love the one and hate the other. You, you, you know, so a lot of people, in, in my experience, a lot of people think they can do both. I can love money and the things of the world, and I can love God. Well, ultimately, it will shake out, and the truth will be known. You, you love one or the other more. It's just a fact. It's what the Lord Jesus is saying to us here. You cannot serve God and money. So God lets, you know, as I always say to you, God lets you decide, right? You decide. You get to decide. Isn't it amazing? A lot of responsibility. You get to decide how you live your life. You get to decide how you spend your money. You get to decide what you do with it. You get to decide if it's all about you or if it's all about God. You get to decide that. I always think of, when I, when I think of these things, I always think of Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. You decide if you're going to set your mind on the things above or the things on the earth. God says, you decide. God says, here I am. You know, yeah, He's breathtakingly awesome. You can have Him or you can have some dusty little shiny trinket in the world. It's, it's you know, it's, it's up to you. Jesus implores us to lay up treasures in heaven. That's also there in Luke chapter 12. Lay up treasures in heaven, He says. For where your treasure is, someone tell me, there will your heart be. This is why He talks about money. If money's your treasure, your heart is on it. And it won't be on God. So the question for you and I today is who has our heart? The earth and its treasures or God? The Bible's clear. You can't have both. You can't love both. I'm not saying that... Certainly there are rich Christians. I get that. I, I understand that. Of course there are rich Christians. This is not a call to abject poverty. That's not what this is. There are rich Christians, of course. But they don't love their, their wealth. It's not their treasure. God is their treasure. They happen to have some money laying around, but God is their treasure, right? This is what is being said. And you know, you're the only one that does know who, who you truly treasure in your heart. You're the, whether it's success, power, money, acclaim, uh, whatever, or is it, is it God? And you've heard me say this before if you've been around very long. How you handle your money is not about you or your money. Who's it about? Oh, guess. It's about God. It's always about God. You think, no, Jim, this is about me and my money. No, it's about God. By the way, you would have no money <laughs> if it weren't for God. He says, I own the heavens and all that is on the earth. Right? I tell you this all the time. It's all His. It's all His. So, yeah, it is about 
God. Your view of money, it's a reflection of your view of God. And don't think it's anything less than that. I don't want you to be deceived. Your priorities with your money, it's a reflection of your view of God. Your anxiety about financial security, it's a reflection of your view of God. Your practice in giving your money, it's a reflection of your view of God. This is why I have to preach this to myself. John MacArthur says, the credibility of your profession of faith in Christ, um, yeah, it can be seen in your checkbook. That's pretty strong. But who do you love? What do you love? It's, it's always in the life, isn't it? It's always in the life. It doesn't matter a lot what you say. Of course, we should say the right things, but what it ultimately comes down to is, are you living the right things? Can people observe you? You know, I was thinking about none of, almost none of you are married. Well, some of you are, a few of you. Not very many. But, you know, your, your spouse needs to see you loving God like this. Your children need to see you loving God like this. They need to see that He's the most important and valuable treasure of your life. It's not your portfolio. It's God Himself. So, what does your handling of money say about your Christianity? So tonight, we'll spend a few minutes taking a look at some of the things that the Lord says to us. And I'm just going to say this to you, which it dawned on me pretty early on in my Christian life. You keep all your money if you want. You lose. God does not lose. God does not need your money. Right? He does not need your money. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, what I've learned as an old Christian. I need to give it. I need to do it. It's liberating. Right? John Piper, when you listen to him teach on giving, he's always using the word governor. It puts a governor, it puts a governor on, on your worldly desires when you, when, you, when, you, when you grind down and you make God your priority, right? And you're giving Him the first whatever. It's, he's always first. And then, and then you know, we give to Him first, as Paul told the Corinthians, so the first day of the week, set aside what you will give. So it's the first... Um, and that's how we deal with it. So if you're doing your sums wrong, you're in the right place. Because God's going to encourage you tonight, right? God will encourage you tonight. God encouraged me this week. I haven't talked to Karen about this, but she knows every time I preach about giving, we have to give more money. Because I like what Randy Alcorn says. It's, it's the treasure principle in, this, in the bookshelf here. Randy Alcorn says, I'm going to be less stupid. It's stupid not to be honoring God in your money. He says it's stupid. And I, I hate to be that inelegant. I know that's inelegant. I'm not calling anyone stupid. Well, I'm, I'm quoting a man who says, yes, it is. And I realize to myself, it is. If I really believe what the Bible says, if I believe eternity, about eternity, if I believe about laying up treasures in heaven as opposed to laying them up on the earth, if I really believe that, I'm stupid if I'm spending it all here. I'm stupid. I'm just quote, quoting a man. But I think it's an it's a interesting way to, to make the point. So, my challenge for you is if you're still building barns, if you're laying up earthly treasures, if you're seeking the things of the world, my challenge to you is to stop. And if you're a young person and you haven't gotten into that where you're actually earning money and, and you don't have to make these kinds of decisions, I'm asking you to, to maybe put this brick in your wall tonight for the future. When you start earning money, God will be first for me. Whatever it looks like, God will be first for me. That's uh, an important brick in every Christian's wall. So, we don't need to be building barns. We don't need to be hoarding up. Why is that true for the Christian? Why is it true that I don't have to hoard up? Like the world tells me I have to hoard up. Because God is God. Right? Because God is God. You remember when Abraham, when God called Abraham to sacrifice, to make that really that incredible sacrifice, that inexpressibly costly sacrifice of Isaac. 
And then, of course, God gave Isaac right back to him. But what was God called in that passage? Anybody remember? I think it's Genesis 22. Anybody remember what the name that God was given in that passage? Jehovah Jireh. What does it mean? God the provider. God provides. No, my boss provides. No, my my husband provides or my wife provides. No, uh, you know, I have to... Obviously, there is a means through which God provides and work is... Work is the way most Christians earn their money. It's, 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 it's how it works. God means for us to earn our money through our labor. It's what He means. But it's from God. You have to see and understand this. The ability that you have to make this money is from God. And when He sends you money through your labors, it is, it's about Him. So Jesus says tonight, I invite you and and then you young folks that haven't started yet. Jesus is inviting each of us to be rich toward God. It's another thing he said in Luke chapter 12. This this, uh, rich farmer who hoarded everything up, uh, Jesus said he was not rich toward God. So I'll just ask you, are you rich toward God? Do you understand what it means? say, Jim, I haven't really started my life yet. Well, will you put that brick in your wall? Will will that be like one of the foundational truths? I will be rich toward God. And I will follow the Word of God and all that He says. So, Jehovah Jireh. We can be extravagantly open-handed with our resources because He is Jehovah Jireh. He will see to it. That's one of the definitions of, of uh, the Hebrew there. Yes, the Lord will provide. That's what most people would say, and that's, that's, that's accurate. But another legitimate translation is there. God says, I'll see to it. You want to honor me? I'll see to it. I'll see to it. You say, no, I've I got to hold it to myself because that's the wise thing to do. Is it the wise thing to do or is it the greedy thing to do? It's in your heart, beloved. You have to examine your heart. So God's theorem, you know, who knows what a theorem is? I know we have a, a really bright group here tonight. A theorem, what is a theorem? Uh, it's a principle that cannot be violated. Bam. A principle that cannot be violated. I really like having Elijah here. Of course, Bertha nailed it too. It's a principle. God says, I'll see to it. You obey me, I'll see to the It's, a theory. it's God's calculus. It's God's calculus, right? It's God's arithmetic. It's how God does arithmetic in the lives of His children. You honor me, I'll take care of the rest. That's what He, he says it in Luke chapter 12. You can go read it at your leisure. So there's a lot of freedom here. Jehovah Jireh, I will see to it. Freedom from... You know, financial fear, anxiety, concern, and worry, uh, insecurity. We are free to give. A few more things that Jehovah Jireh means, that, Je- that the word Jireh means. It means that God's paying attention. It means He's personally involved. It means he's, He will give aid and support. It means He will disclose Himself or show Himself through the process. So, the question is, do we really believe it or not? It's all, that, you know, Christianity always comes down to this. Do I believe what He says or not? If you believe it, it becomes part of your life. If you simply say you believe it, you know, you'll, ten minutes after you get out that door, it's gone. The brick, you're not going to use it as a, you're not going to build, you're not going to be using it to build your wall of Christianity, right? The brick is gone. You're not going to give it any serious consideration. So, Luke chapter 12. (laughs) If you really believe Him, you can do Luke chapter 12. Let me just summarize Luke chapter 12 really quick. I'm going to begin at verse 22. I'm just going to kind of go through uh, the next 12, 13 verses here. You can follow along with me. Luke chapter 12. I'm going to pick up at 32. Jesus says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about your life or what you should eat or what you should put on. Life is more than food and body than clothing. He says, consider the birds. They neither sow nor reap. 
He said, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Stop being anxious. Verse 26. Verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so raised the grass, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will He clothe you, O men of little faith? There's the issue, right? And do you seek what you shall eat and what you shall drink? And, what you, and, and do you keep worrying for all these things? The nations of the world do this. Your Father knows that you need these things. Seek for His kingdom and these things will be added to you. This is what God says. You come after Me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you know, with your talents and skills, with your job, with your career, with your money, with your kids, with your whole life, you come after me, I'll take, the re- I'll take care of the rest of it. It's what he says right here in Luke chapter 12. I'll take care of it. I know what you need. I think we talked about this, what was it, Young Adult Bible Study a couple weeks ago. You know, I don't expect God to hand me a stone when I pray, when I pray and ask Him. God knows exactly what I need, right? He knows what I need. And He is a faithful God. He is the I will see to it God. So, uh, Luke chapter 12, one of my favorite passages. If someone just said, Jim, preach, and I didn't have any time to prepare, it would be one of the passages that I probably would go to just automatically uh, because I've always loved it so much. Luke chapter 12. So, this is God's arithmetic. So, I'm going to stop and ask you, are you a giver or a keeper? You know. You know. If you're a giver or a keeper. God has called us to be like God. We are to be lavish givers because He is a lavish giver. We've been adopted into the family. We are His children. He wants us to emulate Him. You know, it's the highest honor that a parent can have is that a child would emulate them. He expects you to emulate Him. Right? He is a lavish giver. Oh, He did not withhold His Son from you. He's an extravagant giver. He's called you to be a giver too. He's called us all to be givers. So here's God's arithmetic. Three verses for you. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord from the first of your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Giving is receiving. This is God's arithmetic. This is God's theorem. Giving is receiving. Malachi 3.10 Bring in the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Giving is receiving. There's not another verse in the Bible where God says, test me. Hey, I lovingly challenge some of you young people as you kind of start to roll into life. You start to to make, make money. Test God. Test Him. I did. I've confessed to you. I told you 14 months ago. When I first bumped into this thing after I got converted, there was, I thought there's no, way I can, there's no way I can give this kind of money to God. There's no way. It's impossible. I was leveraged to my eyeballs. You guys know what I'm talking about? I had so much debt. And, uh, you know, the Malachi... Verse, will a man rob God? Absolutely. A man will rob God every day. Unless a, God, unless a man gets a look at who he is and what he said. It kind of sobered me up. I got my house in order and I was able to begin to give to the Lord in the way that, that He talks about in His Word. Luke 6, 38. Give 
And it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Giving is receiving. It is God's arithmetic. Now, I'm not preaching health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm, you guys know this. You've been around. I'm not preaching prosperity. I'm not preaching that God is a slot machine. I'm not preaching that you can calculate and, and be mercenary about it and say, well, I'm going to give God lots of money. Bam! Right? I'm going to pull the slot and money's going to come to me. You know, as the... Ooh, I almost said a bad thing. As the unfortunate uh, prosperity preacher uh, would say to us, as the misguided, I would say false teacher, demonic. Uh, there's a lot of words I could use. It's a false gospel. What, is, what does Paul say about the man who preaches a false gospel? Let them be accursed. So I say, any man who's preaching the prosperity gospel, let them be accursed. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will God bless? Of course God will bless. But He's not a slot machine. Most of our blessing, beloved, is there. It's not here. He will bless us here, but most of it will be there. Okay? This is the way we need to be thinking uh, about it. Um, listen, these three verses, these are powerful verses. And whether you ever give to ICM or not, that's not the issue. I'm not preaching to you because we need money. That's not why I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching, I'm preaching this to you because I want to be encouraged to go deeper. And I hope that you would be encouraged to go deeper. And if you're still young and you, you haven't started to, to, to build your financial life yet, that you'll remember this and it'll be a brick in your wall. That you'll start young and you'll start early. One more word about the prosperity false gospel. Uh, you know, do they not read their Bibles? 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, Paul tells Timothy, those who want to get rich fall into temptation, a snare. They're plunged into ruin and destruction. They wander away from the faith and they are pierced with many a pang. Who wants to be rich? Let me hear it. Raise your hand if you want to be rich. <laughs> God says... Those who want to be rich, they fall into temptation and a snare. They're plunged into ruin and destruction. They wander away from the faith and they are pierced with many pangs. Who in their right mind would want to be rich in a worldly sense? It doesn't mean that God may not bless some of you in this way. But, you know, as Randy Alcorn says, God doesn't raise your standard of, how does he say? God doesn't increase your income to raise your standard of living. He does it to raise your standard of So the Christian, whatever, whatever wealth God's pouring in, we're blocking off that first part, right? And, it, and it's God's. I honor God with this. It's how God finances His church. Every church in the world is financed this way. Okay. I'll stop. Um, I want to share with you, a decade ago, one of the first guys in this church, that, one of the first guys that walked in this door. Um, 13 years ago. Um, he didn't know anything about giving. And uh, we, 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 we talked about it some. And I uh, shared, uh, he, he bounced into Luke 6, um, Luke 6, 38, which I just read to you. Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And he got so jazzed about this. He said, man, he said, he said, uh, he said, I'm variable in God's equation for blessing. He says, I influence the blessing supply chain. Yeah, he was in, what's that called? Trucks and stuff? I don't know. Um, but I love this imagery, the blessing supply chain. We can choose to what degree God tips His wrist and pours out blessing upon us. I just, I just, I and this man became an aggressive giver. He was an aggressive giver in this church, right? And uh, so he was a great blessing as this church got off the ground. This man, 
He crashed into the Word. He crashed into the promises of God. It changed his life. He decided that God would be first. He decided he would bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. He decided to be rich toward God. It was a life decision. It's a decision that God is going to leave up to every one of you. You decide. You decide. It's up to you. You know, and I, you guys know what it's like here. I don't, we don't even pass the offering plate. If you don't want to give, I don't want you to give. God's not pleased with that. If you don't want to give, don't give. You lose. And God will keep that door open just as long as He wants it open. Of course, the, the, the common practice is that God will use you to help keep the door open. It's, it's what's always happened. He used, he used the other 11 tribes to support the Levites, right? To keep the doors of the temple open. It's just how He's always done it. But listen, if you don't want to give... I, that's between you and God. I, I know as a pastor, I, maybe I should get in your face sometimes about this, but I'm just uncomfortable doing that. If you don't want to give, I'm not going to scold you into it, right? That's between you and God, but I'm saying you lose. Nobody else loses. You lose. You lose in time, and you lose in eternity. So, what does your giving say about God? I'm going to turn real quick over to Exodus 35. I used this passage uh, 14 months ago. It's because this is, what, this is what it's supposed to look like, right? It's supposed to look like this. Uh, Exodus 35, verses 4 and 5, And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is what? Anybody got it? No. Moved into it pretty quick. Whoever is willing of heart, let him bring it to the Lord's contribution. Whoever is willing. This is what it's about. This is why I don't pass the offering plate. If you're not willing, forget about it. You know, one thing about not passing the offering plate that's always a blessing is because the givers find out how to give. The givers come to you and they say, how do I give in this church? You know, I've been here for a month and I've never seen an, uh, the offering basket or the offering plate. How does it work? And, and you know, the givers figure out how to do it. Um, so, it's pretty cool. Who, whoever is willing of heart, and I've shared my view with you about tithing. You may disagree with me, and that's fine. Tithing to me is Old Testament. Um, it's not mentioned in the New Testament. It's mentioned twice in the New Testament. Once Jesus is scolding the Pharisees about it, and the other time it's just talking about how Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. It's never used in relation to the church. Now, a tithe is the first tenth. You give the first tenth to God. And um, to me, it's law giving. Jesus has freed us up from law giving. Jesus has called us into something deeper. We can go past law giving we're free to go deeper than simply law giving. The problem with law giving, in my experience, I've seen many men, they say, well, I do my tithe, and they're done. I'm done. I did my tithe. Bam, I checked that box. Tithing's a good thing. It's a good principle. It's systematic and it's... Uh, what's the other word I want to use? Systematic and sacrificial. It meets the criteria of giving to God. It's a good thing. My point is, don't get stuck on it. Blow right past it. Blow right past it. You're just cutting yourself off from more blessing from God. You don't have to stop at 10. <laughs> Go on. Be a giver, a happy giver. You don't want to be blessed? You don't, you don't want to be blessed? It's what God says. I'll bless you. I'll bless you. You know, some people just think God is a taker. He's not a taker. He doesn't need your money. But you need to learn how to give it. He's not a taker. He's a giver. <laughs> it really kind of comes down to how you see God, right? It always does. This is all about God. This whole sermon is about God and how you see God and think about God in relationship to your money. So, this is not about law, Exodus chapter 35. It's about desire. So, I, I, I give it to you. This is why I don't pass the offering plate. If you don't desire to give to God enough 
to find out where the offering basket is and to walk over there and put your offering in it, then if you don't desire it enough, then don't, yeah, I'm not going to bother you. <laughs> the church is not going to bother you with it. I know you don't hear that in many places, but I want it to be personal and meaningful and powerful if you decide to give here. I don't want it to be brain dead, check my box. This is an insult to God. You guys know 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9. Chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 9, 6 through 8. Let me read it to you. This is how I see New Testament giving. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now which one sounds better? You tell me. Which one sounds better? To, to reap what? Sparingly or bountifully? Bertha, which one do you think is better? Bertha's always right. This woman has never been wrong. Every time she answers, she's never been wrong. Um, and she's going to have a boy, too. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who don't know. Um, yeah, so, and then he says, each one must do as he has purposed in his heart. Whatever's in your heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. That's why we don't pass the plate. I don't want anybody to give grudgingly or under compulsion. If you don't want to give, don't give, right? You lose. For God loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Let me just summarize Exodus 35 for you really quick, the balance. I'm just going to go through it really, really fast. Don't try to stay up with me. Um, verse 21, the hearts of everyone who, whose heart was stirred brought an offering. Their spirit was moved within them. They brought the Lord a contribution. Verse 22, their hearts were moved. Verse 26, their hearts were stirred. Verse 29, their hearts moved them. It was a free will offering. Uh, chapter 36, verse 2, their hearts were stirred. Verse 3, it was a free will offering. Verse 5, um, the people are bringing much more than enough for the construction which the Lord commanded. Verse 6, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Moses issued a command and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp. Let neither man nor woman any longer perform the work for the contributions of the sanctuary. The people had to be restrained from bringing any more. That's God honoring giving right there. We saw it in the New Testament. It's just, it's open-hearted. It's free. It's, hey, if it's about law for you, just stop it. Just stop it until you can get past law and you get into desire. You get into worship. You get into love. This is what giving is. It's always this. It's nothing less than this. It's worship. It's love. It's like we talked about Mary a week or two ago. She poured 12 grand, 15 grand, whatever it was. That wasn't law. It's not law. It's I love this God. Right? It's the woman who threw in her last penny. Right? It's not law. It's I love this God. I trust this God. I love this. I love this teaching from the Scriptures. Just an illustration from George Mueller. Uh, you guys know George Mueller. He was a famous uh, 19th century minister in London, and God used him to provide for 10,000 orphans uh, during his lifetime. And there was a, 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 a widow. She was a seamstress, and she made just a pittance, and she barely made it week to week. And a distant relative died. She didn't even know she had this relative. This distant relative died and left her 100 pounds, which back then was a ton of money. It was five years' wages. Can you imagine getting five years' wages? Those of you who, you know, are fortunate enough to be getting wages. Five years' wages. She gave it all to Mueller. And Mueller said, you're old. You're pathetic. You're sick. You're weak. You're frail. I can't take your money. <laughs> he gave it back to her twice, right? She finally wrote this to him. She said, I have well weighed the matter. 
The Lord Jesus freely shed His precious blood for me, a poor lost sinner. And shall I not in return show my love and gratitude to Him by giving Him this little sum? Rather than this orphan work should fail, I would give Him every penny I have. It was about her love affair with Christ. That's, that's what it was about. It was her love affair with Him. Uh, Piper tells a, a story of a Haitian Man, uh, it was this story was relayed to John Piper from uh, a Haitian missionary. The Haitian church was taking up an offering, and and this guy had, had no money. His name was Edmund. Uh, he gave thirteen dollars, and uh, which is three months' wages for him. And they couldn't figure, they couldn't find Edmund, and he didn't come to the ceremony. And the the missionary tried to find him. The missionary finds him, and he says, "Edmund, what's up with this huge offering? Thirteen dollars. It was three months' wages." What's up with this offering? And, and Edmund said, well, I sold my horse. And, uh, and he said, well, why didn't you stay for the, the gathering and the ceremony? He said, I don't have a shirt. Now, I don't think I know about where Edmund is, you know what I'm saying, and about where the seamstress is. But you know what? I'd like to be in that place. I'd like to go there. I'm just making a confession to you. I'd like to go there where the seamstress is and where Edmund is. He doesn't have a shirt. He sells his horse to give an offering. I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty astonishing. So, um, I made a commitment to this church 13 years ago when I started. It was one of my first sermons. I said, I'll never preach a sermon asking you for money. And I never have. 13 plus years now. But I will teach you what God says about it and then you decide. Right? I'll teach you what God says and you decide what you're going to do with the Word of God. You decide. Every time I look at this topic in Scripture, I decide I have to be less stupid. Um, maybe that's the sermon title on the podcast. Being less stupid. I bet I get a lot of hits on that. You know? I bet I'd get a lot of hits. A lot of times it's, it's all in the title, man. It's all in the title. You know the biggest sermon I ever had, the, the biggest one ever on the podcast site for the longest time was simply titled Rich! Exclamation point. And of course I was talking about spiritual riches. But isn't it interesting? That was the one that got hit the most. Um, yeah, it's somewhat telling, isn't it? So, beloved, if you're still building barns, if you're still miserly with God, if you're still laying up treasure in heaven, uh, pardon me, earthly treasure instead of treasure in heaven, you lose. It's not just a sin, it's stupid. Okay? Uh, just being open with you tonight. So, Matthew 6, you can go look at it at your leisure. Matthew 6 talks about money can either be a treasure problem or a trust problem. You either treasure money more than you treasure God or you trust your money more than you trust God. You need to examine yourself to see if that is a problem for you. So, your giving is a reflection of your view of God, period. There is no rationalization here. It's just simply what it is. Your giving is a reflection of your view of God, period. Do you love Him enough? to be a systematic and sacrificial giver? Do you trust Him enough to be a systematic and sacrificial giver? God doesn't need your money. You need to learn how to be a giver. So how do you get started? Okay, for you young people, how do you get started? It's a brick in your wall. It's a non-negotiable brick in my wall. I will not kill anyone. I will not rape and pillage. I will not steal from my employer. I will honor God with the first of my produce. It's just the brick in your wall. It's just who you are, right? So, you prioritize it. You forecast it. You plan it. You budget it. You do it. It's not rocket science. It's like anything else you decide to do. Well, we're going to buy a new car, okay? We've got to get it in the budget. This is how it works. You know, if you, want to, if you want God to be honored in your budget, this is how it works. So, um, let it be non-negotiable. Let it be first. 
Let it be non-negotiable. C.S. Lewis says, if you're doing your sums wrong, you will get the wrong answer. When you discover that you're doing your sums wrong, the best thing to do is to stop and start over. So that's my challenge to any of you who are uh, not obeying God in this or as a young person who has yet to begin that adventure. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap for by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. Let's pray together. Lord, I just confess uh, I want to be less stupid. I understand what Your Word says. I understand what the parable says about a tenfold, pardon me, a hundredfold return. In all eternity, I understand. Lord, I pray that Your Word would bear down on each of us tonight. We would understand just how important this is for us. Lord, that we would have the right view of You, that we would see You as a giver and not a taker. And that we would want to emulate You as a lavish giver. Lord, help us to see and understand Give us a cheerful heart about this. Help us not to be about law and about being compelled. Lord, help us to see and love You in such a way that we cannot not give. For if we are truly seeing You in all Your beauty, we would be compelled to bring a worthy offering. So Lord, I ask for Your help for each of us. We're all in different places. Please, Lord, grow us and stretch us. I don't want to waste another day thinking small about this. Help us, Father, we pray. You know our frame. You know how weak we are. You know how powerful the world's influences can be. So we do cry out for Your help. Help us, Lord. We pray this in the beautiful, matchless, and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and I'll... uh...